As we come today, I ask that you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and put your finger there, and also in Isaiah 53, which we just read from. And we are going to be going back and forth and tracing the understanding of what the Lamb of God means. As we come today, we come to celebrate the greatest sacrifice and story of redemption that has ever been told. We come today to trace through throughout the Bible the testimony of God's work. Indeed, the Bible is the story of God, His creation, His creatures, the fall of man as they reject and revile God's authority and commands, and then the redemption and restoration of sinful man to holy God. For indeed, God has performed on our behalf a work of redemption and a work of restoration that we can never even imagine, that we can never grapple with. But in the words of Scripture, we see how sinful man might be made right with holy God. As we come today, we come within a society, within a culture, within the context of many people who are seeking to have peace with God, to be made right with God. We have many people that are searching out many different paths, and yet we live within the culture, within the context of a society that would look at us and say, listen, if you want to be made right with God, it comes from where? Inside of yourself. We have a me-saturated culture. And as we look around, we understand that the source that many outside of the church and outside of Christianity say is the source of all fulfillment and meaning for our lives is nothing other than self-help and self-actualization. They say the true meaning to all of life is found within yourself. Just listen to Oprah, listen to Dr. Oz, listen to even some of our quote-unquote evangelical preachers of our day, and they fill us up and tell us how positive thinking, right thinking, and just filling ourselves up and telling ourselves it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay, and doggone it, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you, everything will be all right. Sounds like a bad Saturday night live skit. Never mind, it was. Some of you remember his uh, Stuart Smiley used to sit there and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. That doesn't make everything okay. But our culture says that indeed to find favor, hope, and satisfaction, it all flows from a positive view of ourselves. They tell us that the full weight of a fulfilled life is based on who and what you are in and of yourself. They preach the success of self as the supreme law of our land. Indeed, we live in a culture that is filled with the idolatry of I. The idolatry of I. And yet, as we look at the words of Scripture, as we look at the revelation that God has given within His redemptive uh, message in the Bible, we understand that we are not the helpers of ourselves, but that it is the grace and the goodness of our great God that saves us and strengthens us and sustains us to live within this world. Indeed, God reveals Himself to sinful humanity on the pages of Scripture as the one who is the I am that I am. That is his name. Remember the story of Moses there in Exodus? Well, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to go and tell the uh, tell Egypt to let my people go. Well, who in the world should I tell? Should I tell? I can't even speak, God. What's wrong? Why would you send me before Pharaoh? You tell him I am that I am has sent you. 
You tell them I have called them out. I am going to save them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring them into a land rich and flowing with milk and honey. He doesn't say, hey, all you need to tell them is they need to hope in themselves and maybe they'll get out of here one day. As the Gospel of John begins, John the Baptist is proclaiming the hope of redemption, the hope of salvation and restoration to a crowd that is gathering in the wilderness. He is telling the people, listen, if you will repent of your sins and place your faith in Yahweh, the I am that I am, if you will place your hope and your trust in the Messiah, in the Redeemer that Yahweh is going to give, then you will know full salvation and sanctification and satisfaction. He is baptizing those who repent and trust in God, uh, God's plan of redemption. There's a stir. Who is this man? Who, who is this man? Who, who are you, John? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you Moses? Who are you, John? What are you doing out here? And he looks and he's in that moment. He is fully self-aware of who he is and who he is not. And he looks and instantly he says, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I'm not the prophet Moses. Come back. I'm just a voice. In that moment, surely there was a temptation to, to self-aggrandizement. Surely there was a temptation to, to let himself become a religious power of his day. But there, in that moment, he decided it was more important to know and to serve the living God in the way he has designed than to, to allow himself to be propped up as a puppet for the religious leaders. Indeed, Jesus, Jesus is the one to whom he points. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he displays this thought pattern. He says, he must increase so that I must, and I must what? Decrease. He's willing to give the praise, the honor, and the glory to the one who, who it is due. And so when they come and ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet sent to us by God? He says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just a voice. Not even the voice, a voice, one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of God's redemption. As he comes onto the scene, he is telling and pointing the people to salvation. In verses 12 and 13, he has said, as many as have, to as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. If you want salvation, don't come looking to me. I'm just a voice. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a participant in God's call for you to surrender yourselves to his redeemer indeed he says i'm not even worthy to tie his sandals together i'm not even worthy to tie or to untie the savior's sandals and we aren't either and so when we begin to make more of ourselves than we ought when we live and buy into this culture this idolatry of i we have a problem for when we make much of ourselves we do not testify or witness or demonstrate god's distinct and unique ability to save sinners by his grace and for his glory And so the message today is not you need to make yourself right with God. The message today is God has done something to make you right with himself. 
He has offered a lamb of His provision so that you and I might be saved from our sins. As we gather today to celebrate God's redemptive work to forgive our sins and to give us new life, we must understand we cannot magnify our abilities, our accomplishments, or ourselves in order to gain a right standing before God. For indeed, what we must do is acknowledge our sin and receive God's Savior. It is only through God's provision of His sacrificial lamb, His holy and righteous substitute, that we are able to be received into His kingdom as sons and daughters of the Most High. As we come today, we celebrate the lamb of God's provision in our salvation so that we might be sons and daughters of our great and glorious Redeemer King. Let's take our Bibles and look there in John chapter 1 and let's see the Lamb of God's provision. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inspired word. Look there in John chapter 1 verse 29 and this is the only verse today but I assure you if you see and you hear and you understand and you receive the message of this text today your life will never be the same. And hear the words of John as he sees Jesus coming across the pale of creation to him. He looks the next day. It says in John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given your word to reveal to us who we are, where we are, and what we need. And Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us in your word how you have, how you have created us and how you have redeemed us and how you can make sinful man in, to have a right relationship with you. Lord, we ask this morning that as we study this passage, as we think through these words, as we think through this simple sentence, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, we ask that you would show us our sin, show us our Savior. Father, draw us to repentance and faith in Him. And let us leave differently than when we came in. Father, change us and transform us by your grace and for your glory. And we pray these things now in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that Jesus Christ, indeed, is a sovereign substitute who was sacrificed by God to receive his wrath against our sin and to receive us into right standing before a just and holy God. That's what's going on here in this passage. John is proclaiming the gospel in one statement. He is making the the bold claim, this is the Lamb of God, this is the sovereign substitute who will be sacrificed by God to satisfy His wrath against your sins and to receive you as sons and daughters of His kingdom in His eternal land. 
The Lamb of God is given here in this passage to redeem man. He is given to restore our broken relationship with God. And so as we walk through this passage today, we're going to look at it from several different aspects. We're going to see, first of all, the requirement of the Lamb. Second of all, the remedy of the Lamb. And thirdly, the restoration of the Lamb. But as we come today, I want us to center and understand exactly what John means when he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Firstly, we need to see the requirement of a lamb. The requirement of a lamb. As Jesus comes to John, he testifies, he bears witness, he tells everybody around him. He's already said, you know, they've come to him, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you Moses? We want to give you a special place. We want to set you up as a power broker within our religious organization. He says, no, I'm none of those. I'm not anybody. I'm just a voice. But when he sees Jesus coming across the landscape, striding out across to him, he bears witness and says, behold, the Lamb of God. Look, see, embrace, take heed of what I am saying. The Lamb of God. Now, this is an amazing statement that comes from John's mouth. Indeed, we teach our children, if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, what is it? A duck. The story is told of a little boy who was sitting in uh, church, and I, I've used it several times here and illustrated. He was sitting in Sunday school, and the pastor was supposed to come around and visit that morning, and the teacher had prepped all the kids for every question the pastor could ever answer, ask. And you know what the answer to every one of those questions was? Jesus. Pastor walked in and he said, now I want to ask you something. And you know, there, we have a lot of different things within this world. And if we look out in the trees, we see a little gray rat with a bushy tail that runs all through the trees and eats all kinds of acorns and, and pecans and all kinds of things. And, and you know, he's, he's short, he's fat, he's got little pointy ears, and he's got a long bushy tail. What exactly is that thing that's in the tree? The little boy raised his hand and said, well... Sounds like a squirrel to me, but I know the answer is Jesus. The reality is when John looks across and sees Jesus coming, he's walking like a normal man. He's talking like a normal man. He looks like a normal man. Everything seems to be normal about this one Jesus who is coming across. And as he looks, he looks and says, behold the lamb. Why would he use that term lamb? Well, if we would have been standing around John, we would have immediately understood because we would have been thinking back to the Old Testament. We would have remembered in Genesis 22 when God gave a lamb of provision to, to provide salvation and life to the heir of Abraham's covenant promise. In Leviticus, we see the perpetual offering of a perfect and, of perfect and pure lambs in place of God's sinful people as a picture of his forgiveness forgiving sin by placing his wrath, his judgment, and his justice upon those blameless, spotless substitutes. Now in that, in that we see and understand that throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God gives a sacrificial system. He sets it in place so that His people would see and know His standard is perfect purity, perfect holiness. But in His grace, in His mercy, in His love, He will exchange the guilt of His people when they by faith ask for forgiveness And he transfers their guilt 
onto a sinless substitute to be sacrificed for their sins. All of that is detailed. All of that is background to understand what, what John is saying when he says this is the Lamb of God. Through, indeed, we understand that that Old Testament promise, that Old Testament picture is just a shadow. It's a type. It's a foretelling of the one who would come as the perfect Lamb. For the rest of the Old Testament is replete. It is full with the promises of a sovereign substitute, a sacrificial Messiah, a Lamb of God who would come to bear once and for all time the penalty of your sins and my sins. See, they are looking, the people in John's day are looking for a sacrificial substitute. They are looking for a suffering servant. They are looking for a Lamb of God that will once and for all time offer Himself to satisfy God's wrath against our sin. And in Isaiah 53, verses 1-3, through we see this promised Messiah who will come out of nowhere. He'll be a root that springs up in the midst of the wilderness. He's going to come out of nowhere and He is not going to have the form or majesty that we should look upon him no beauty that we should desire him and here comes jesus god's sovereign substitute god's lamb striding across to john and he looks and says behold i know he just looks like a man he walks like a man and he talks like a regular old man but this man is the lamb of god's provision this is the lamb of god's provision and so the next question is not only why would he use the term lamb, but secondly, why, why would we need a lamb? Why would we need a lamb? Why would humanity need a lamb? Well, Isaiah 53 explains this perfectly when we, when we understand it. For it tells us that we have a problem with God that He can't ignore, that He can't sweep under the rug, that He can't just get rid of. We have a problem with God in the fact that we are sinners by nature and by choice. For God is perfect. He is pure. He is holy and He is righteous. And none of us are in that place. And therefore, none of us are acceptable. And and so something must be done to right our standing before the God, before our great God, if we want to be in his kingdom. It says in Isaiah 53, we like sheep have all gone where? Astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We have chosen to seek to live our lives in ways that are contrary to God's perfect and pure commands, to His standards. Indeed, if, if you are sitting here this morning, you probably immediately realize that somewhere, at some point in your life, you've gone astray from God's commands. But in case you are sitting here and you are saying, oh no, I haven't, I've never done anything wrong, let me just give you a test by some of the Ten Commandments. Not all of the Ten Commandments, just a few. Have you ever told a lie? I mean, even the smallest little lie to make yourself look better in the eyes of somebody that you wanted to think highly of you? Ever told a little white lie just to get by so that it would be easier and nobody would be hurt? God says you shall not lie. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, you know, Pastor, I, I would never steal anything. Let me ask you, have you ever walked by the desk and you needed a pencil and so you took the pencil that was on the desk knowing that it didn't belong to you and you walked away with it and kept it for your good? That's stealing. That's the definition of stealing. You took something that wasn't yours so that you could have it. Ever walked by and say, well, I need a peppermint. I think I'll just take one. Here's the reality. 
We are sinners by nature and by choice. And James 2.10 says, listen, if you have broken one law, you've broken the whole law. You've got a problem with the living God. Why would we need a lamb? We need a lamb because we are sinful creatures by nature and by choice. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the reality. The wages of our sin is death. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And because of this, the right reward for our rebellious and renegade lifestyle, our rebellious and renegade behavior before the living God is to suffer emotionally, physically, spiritually, and eternally in hell. That's the right reward. That's what I deserve. Well, I deserve to get a million dollars. Why? Work for it. I deserve to have right standing before God. Why? Not because of who you are and what you are. You've broken His commands. You've disobeyed His law. You've swept it aside. You've chosen to go after your own way. Well, it's okay. I don't care what God's Word says. Listen, we need a lamb to take the punishment of our sins. A sufficient sacrificial substitute is required to deal with the right rewards of our rebellion against our Creator. There needs to be a Lamb of God's provision so that we can be in a right relationship with Him. But secondly, let's go on and look at the remedy. Not just the requirement. The requirement of the Lamb, it's, the Lamb is required because we are sinful by nature and by choice. But secondly, we see there is a remedy, the remedy of the Lamb. This is the Lamb of God who what? Who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. He takes away the sins of the world. John continues his explanation of the primacy of the person and work of Jesus Christ as a sufficient substitute for sinful humanity by saying he is the one who is going to take away your sins and my sins. He's going to take away the sins of the world. Notice he doesn't say this is just one of the substitutes. This is the one of the ways to God. He doesn't say that, does he? He says what? This is the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world? I want to be very particular because we live in a culture that says all the roads lead up the same mountain to the same God. It doesn't matter if you worship Buddha and Muhammad or anybody else within this world. The reality is it does matter because God in His Word says that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Lamb of God who makes you right before your Creator. See, we live in a century in a culture that defies that. And yet Jesus testified to it, didn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want life? You want everlasting life? You must come on God's standards, in God's terms, in God's way. And here's how he says, I have given the Lamb the one way to heaven. I've given him as a sacrifice so that you might be redeemed. The implication is staggering to our 21st century world. This says not all paths lead to the same God. Not all roads lead up to the same mountain. Indeed, there is one path offered by God himself revealed within the text of Scripture. And that path is Jesus Christ and him alone. And that is by the sacrifice of the Lamb. That's how salvation is brought. 
How would the forgiveness of our sins and satisfaction of God's wrath be accomplished? That's a natural question. How would this be accomplished? Well, through the course of the Gospels, we see Jesus living a perfect and pure life. He obeys God's commands completely. The standard God has set out there within the text of the Old Testament, God, God fully fulfills in the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 testify to this in saying, He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judged justly. See, Jesus, God's suffering servant of a son, was willing to even suffer and die for our sake. God's suffering servant of a son, Jesus Christ, was willing to suffer, to take the pain and the penalty, even of death, that you and I deserved, so that we might be made right with him. Isaiah 53, 4-6, we see the suffering servant, sovereign God, in human form, bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He is stricken. He is smitten by God. He is pierced for our transgressions. He is crushed for our iniquities and suffering chastisement and wounds because of our sins. In, in Isaiah 53, verses 7-9, through 9, we see that passage continue and it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears so he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due that's great news That's great news. God says He's going to remedy our problem of sin by offering a sinless substitute in our place. He's going to give one to stand in our place. Imagine, if you will, a courtroom. You're standing there and you've got a lawyer arguing vehemently for your innocence. And you're standing there and you're hearing the arguments go back and forth. And you get close to the end of the trial. And finally the judge asks and he says, I want you to stand up now. I want you to look me in the eyes and I want you to answer this one question. And it's the one question that you and I fear the most. The judge looks right at you and says, I want you to tell me, did you commit this crime? Are you guilty? And in that moment, you shudder to your core because you know you must tell the truth. And in that moment, you look at that judge and you say, yes, I am guilty. Yes, I did it. And the judge pronounces upon you the sentence, the sentence that you rightfully deserve, the sentence that you are rewarded with because of your own act. And at that moment, the judge looks at you and says, you know what? You have broken the law. You have broken my law. You are condemned to death. And then in a moment, 
There's one who rises and creates a stir in the back of the courtroom. And he comes forward and he stands before the judge and he looks at the judge and says, Judge, I want you to take that right reward that you had sentenced him with, that right reward of death that you had given to him, and I want you to take it and lay it upon me. I willingly want to take and pay the penalty that he deserves. That's the picture of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, willingly crawling up on a cross of Calvary and putting Himself in your place so that He could receive upon Himself the full weight of our rewards. Indeed, we understand 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 when it says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. For you were like straying sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Repent. Listen, if we want to have new life, we need to understand that God has offered His salvation, but His salvation comes in His particular way, in His particular time at his particular discretion and it comes to us in this way in the person and work of Jesus Christ his sovereign substitute who was sacrificed on Calvary for our sins see we understand in this passage that repentance from our sins and receiving Christ as God's savior will sustain us it will give us new life Christ willingly took the point the pain and penalty of God's wrath against our sin so that we don't have to. And I want you to understand this. All of our sin at the core, you want to know what the biggest problem for man is when it comes to sin? Sin in its very essence, as David Platt says, sin at its essence is when man substitutes himself for God. But salvation in its essence is when God substitutes himself for man sin is when we try to become god be like god we try to live our lives by our own ways our own rule and we try to reign over ourselves but listen salvation comes when god substitutes himself for man and takes his place on that cross of calvary to bear the penalty for our sin The remedy for sin is that a sinless substitute would stand in our place and receive upon himself the rewards of our rebellion and suffering and dying for our souls and that we would repent of those sins and receive a new heart, a new life, and a new start. There is a remedy for our sin and the remedy for our sin is the Lamb of God's provision, Jesus Christ. But thirdly, this morning, we need to see the restoration of the Lamb. See, in Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12, it comes to us as a seeming contradiction. For up until this point, we, we have been reading a constant, uh, constant oracle of pain and suffering and of death. We have seen just constant uh, darkness and depravity. We see a morbid obituary that leads us to presume that all this pain and all this anguish we deserve killed the sovereign substitute. And that was the end of the story. But look in verses 10 but the lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief that's god being satisfied by the death of his own son and let me just say it as dr aiken said it when he was here with us in october god killed god the father killed christ so he didn't have to kill you that's what it's saying 
And so if he, it says, if he being the Savior, the suffering servant, would render himself as a guilt offering, then he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. How in the world could that happen? He's dead. He's gone. He's suffered. He's died in our place. We are tempted to think, I don't know if your mind works like mine, but we are tempted to think along the lines of how could this be fair? How could this be good? How could this be right? How does this bring me hope when my hope is rooted in a sinless sacrifice of a sovereign God on my behalf? How does it help me to think that God's son was God's son blood, son's blood was shed for my sins? When this passage we see. God the Father satisfy His righteousness by pouring out His wrath, His judgment, and His justice upon His suffering servant in the form of His Son. We see the Son drink down the full contents of the cup of God's wrath there at the cross of Calvary. We see Him suffer, suffering and dying, stretching out His hands, and He drinks down the full cup of God's wrath. And when He is done, He turns it over and He says, It is finished. It is done. I have paid the price and the penalty of man's sin. I have died in their place. God's justice, God's wrath in that moment are satisfied in the, in the redemptive plan that He has to make man, men and women, sinful men and women, right with Himself by paying the penalty of by paying the penalty of sins. Understand this. When Jesus' body was taken down off that cross that day, that empty cross stands as a marker in human history telling us the work of God's redemption is complete in the sacrifice of His Son for the penalty of our sins. And now forgiveness can extend to all those who come to Him by faith. That's what the empty cross means. But they took that mangled, and marred body of our crucified Christ. They took it down from the tree and they took it and laid it in a borrowed grave on that Friday evening. And all through the Sabbath, you can just hear the moaning and the wailing. Indeed, darkness and death, despair and destruction seemed to be imminent for the one that had been pure and perfect in every way. But then on Sunday morning, we call it Resurrection Sunday morning, a dead man got up from the grave by the Spirit of God and came forth to stand in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell. And in that moment, all of the world was changed because in that moment, not only was there an empty cross that testified of God's ability to forgive our sins, but now there was an empty grave that assured us of His ability to raise us to new life, not just here in this world, but in the everlasting kingdom of His glorious love. As we come today, we celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that there stood the resurrected Jesus, the one that had emptied himself for us. There he stood in front of an empty grave to display for the world God's triumphant power over sin, death, and hell. This is God's Savior for sinners. This is the one who has borne our 
pain and penalty for us. And now has been raised again. He has been exalted. He has received a name that is better than any other name. He has received a name that is superior to any other name. He has received the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God, our Father. Let me ask you this morning. That empty grave assures you of everlasting life in Him. But do you stand and rejoice when you think of that? Because see, the same suffering Lamb, the same Lamb who was slain for the sake of our souls, this same Lamb is the one who we see not only standing in front of an empty grave, but this is the Lamb that we see in Revelation who brings God's redeemed people to stand before His throne in His eternal kingdom. And there in Revelation 5, verse 6, it says, I saw between the throne and the elders a Lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And He came and He took the book out of the right hand of of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken the book the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense and which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe from every nation, from every people, and from every tongue. That's our Redeemer. What a great picture of God as we celebrate Him on this Easter Sunday morning. Surely we must not only remember the requirement of a lamb that would be slain to take the penalty of our sin. We not only remember the remedy that was given in Jesus Christ who was that lamb, but we celebrate the restoration of that lamb, the risen lamb, the one who will bring us to live with Himself forever. So my question this morning for you is, are you willing to sacrifice the idolatry of I to trust and receive salvation from the Lamb of God's provision? Are you willing to humble yourself and say, you know what, I can never work my way to God. I can never make myself right before Him, but He can make me right by His grace and for His glory. See, for your salvation, God required a lamb and, and a righteous one to receive his wrath for your sins. For your salvation, God remedied your situation with his lamb. For indeed, that's what it means in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when it says, For he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, so that you and him might receive or might be the righteousness of God. For God so loved the world that what? That He gave His Son, His only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God has given your, you salvation through His remedy of the Lamb of His provision, 
so that you might celebrate in the restoration and the resurrection when his lamb returns, when his son returns to call his beautiful bride and body home to be with him. This morning as we celebrate, we have much to celebrate, brother and sister. Let us stand. Let us sing. Let us go forward into this community and tell the world of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the many blessings. Lord, thank you that in the midst of our need, you required a lamb. And Father, you provided the lamb in Jesus Christ. Father, in the midst of our need, you remedied our situation by giving him to bear the penalty of our sins. But Father, we also celebrate the fact that you didn't just leave him dead in a grave, wasting away, uh, enduring forever the punishment and the penalty that we deserve for our sin, but you raised him up in new life. Father, let us go forward and live and celebrate that new life. Father, let us trust you and not ourselves. Let us repent of our sins, place our faith in you, and live in the resurrection of life that comes from the Spirit of God. Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.